0: You're listening to Young PR Pros, episode 117, The Future of PR.
1: Hi, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Young PR Pros, a weekly podcast for the young and young at heart PR pros looking for tips and advice on how to build and advance their careers. I am
2: Christine Darbell in Ottawa, Canada.
3: And I'm Julia Kent in Halifax, Nova Scotia.
2: I'm Ross Simmons, also in Halifax, Nova Scotia.
3: And I'm Claire Bonnyman in Toronto.
1: Welcome back, everyone. This is uh, our first episode of 2017, uh, or recording of the first episode of 2017. So really excited and... Everyone was available. So we have all our wonderful voices on today's episode. So I'm really, really excited.
2: What a great way to start the new year.
1: Exactly. And what better way to look at a new year than to look forward, not just at the year ahead of us, but as out at the future of our industry? And I was actually lucky enough in October to attend a CAA slash AAA conference in Minneapolis. So I work for the Canadian Automobile Association, and they hosted a conference for everyone in public affairs and communications. And to my surprise, I ran into Shell Holtz. Uh, So, you know, some of our hosts might actually uh, recognize that name, and some of our listeners also might recognize that name. uh, Because Shell is the founder of the FIR Podcast Network, and the host of four immediate release, which is one of the longest running podcasts on communications and public relations. I think they're at like episode 600 or something like that. I mean, Shell is a brilliant communicator. He's been in the industry for a very long time. And he's just seen a lot of change Um, and he's obviously one of the reasons why he's survived in the industry for so long is he's constantly looking at the future. So his presentation at the conference was called The Future of Public Relations and after his presentation uh, I was actually lucky enough to pull him aside and ask him a few questions. If you had to choose one, you could only choose one trend that is probably the most important thing that a communicator needs to look at at least in the next week, let's say, because things change all the time, uh, what would be the one trend that you would pick out of the list?
4: No question, messaging. Messaging? Uh, the shift uh, to mobile has already happened, it's irrevocable, uh, the, uh, the lines have crossed, we're now spending more time uh, digitally with mobile devices than we are with desktops or laptops, uh, but we're also seeing the shift away from apps. Uh, as people are just crazily developing apps and talking about what kind of app we can deploy the average number of apps that people download every month has reached zero Uh, and instead, uh, particularly among the millennial and uh, Gen Z generations, uh, people would rather message Uh, and there has been phenomenal development of some of the core messaging apps uh, Facebook Messenger, Whatsapp In in Asia, there's WeChat, which just sort of eaten all of Asia. Everybody uses it for everything, payments and banking, and you name it. But if you look at Facebook, if you uh, Messenger, if you if you look at Kick, and uh, even even Slack for enterprise messaging, they all have built-in features that allow you to engage with more than just each other. You can engage with businesses. You know with Slack you can order a pizza, book a flight, all these Slack bots that, that fulfill different functions. Well in Messenger you can now shop for and order clothes. The idea being that you don't have to close out one app, open up another, navigate to the part that has what you want in order to take that action. It's all done through text messaging Um, within the app and and button pushing, and uh, you stay within one app, you invoke the conversation with the organization you want to. Uh, So I think we have to figure out how to take what we have been doing in digital media and social media that has all been based on the big screen, what we have somewhat transitioned to through apps, and now think about how we do that through messaging, because that is the single biggest trend I see right now.
1: The number one trend in PR and communications, according to Shell, is messaging. So communicating with your audiences through a messaging app. I was actually surprised to hear this, so I'm really curious to hear what you guys think. Is this true? Is it false? Is it new information to you? Um, Let's start with Ross. What do you think?
2: I like the idea. It's a uh, trend that I've been watching very closely over the last little bit. I have a uh, personal business crush on Slack, uh, which is a messaging platform for business professionals. Um, And there's a lot of interesting Technologies that are coming out and people building for that platform. And then if you go a step further and you look at kind of the consumer side and there's tools like WhatsApp, uh, there's things like Facebook Messenger, you can definitely see the uh, there being a shift in human behavior towards these messaging tools. Uh, if you look to the east in China and Japan, messaging apps already kind of run um, the web and people are using their messaging apps more than they use a browser. So if I was to say that this is where things are going, I would definitely say I probably agree with Shell that in the future I could see this happening. Is it going to happen tomorrow? I'm not so sure. Um, But I could see in three or four years messaging changing the way we interact with one another, the way we interact with brands from a customer service perspective, the way we get news about um, upcoming events and public relations affairs, things of that nature. So I'm definitely on board with the messaging train. What do you think, Julia? So...
3: I I was also surprised to hear him say that, but when I thought of it, it it made sense. But if someone were to ask me right now, well, I'm asking myself, Julia, what do you think the number one trend is uh, in PR? I would have said visual storytelling. And this actually um, is quite linked to Shell's um, stance on messaging, because I read somewhere that the average person is watching 32 videos per month and... We have a 74% um, greater understanding of content when we watch it in a, in a video format. So I think that that's the, the numbers speak for themselves. This this is where it's going and things with like Instagram stories and Snapchat and YouTube channels and, you know, all of these video platforms are the ones that are really leading right now. I would have said for sure, visual storytelling.
1: That's that's actually a really good point and an interesting um, uh, observation. What do you what do you think, Claire?
0: Well, I have to agree completely with the idea. Messaging apps are so huge when you think about things that people are using every single day. I mean, I'm probably never really off Facebook Messenger, unfortunately. And two to Julia's point, I think it's really interesting because when I think of Snapchat too, like Snapchat is a huge video platform, but it comes down to this message and it's a communications platform. And, you know, where better to reach an audience and reach people than somewhere that they're already looking every single day. And I, I think it's pretty fascinating when you really think about it, it becomes really clear that that is where people are going. And that is kind of the future of PR, even though it doesn't necessarily seem like it would be
3: to me, but and yeah. and like to Claire's point, Christine, like even Instagram has the messaging feature now.
1: That's true. Like
3: yeah. Snapchat, I, I find myself talking to my friends through Snapchat as opposed to just texting them when I have their number because a, a, a photo, a visual story or a video has prompted a discussion. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, even my stance saying I thought I would have thought visual storytelling would be what Shell might have said. The two kind of go hand in hand right now.
1: They do, because I mean, Snapchat is both a visual messaging tool and a messaging tool like it's it's both combined. I I want to take a step back and, you know, think about where we came from and where what everyone thought was the latest trend, you know, maybe two or three years ago, and that was apps, you know? Every, there was an app for that. Every single company out there kind of rushed to say, okay, we need to kind of create an app. And now I think we're at the point where we're kind of like inundated with apps. Every website or every company has a website. Every company has a Twitter account. They all have Facebook accounts and Instagram accounts. And I think as a, a, a it's great that companies have different ways to uh, communicate their message, but from the user's perspective, I think the reason why we ended up going to the messaging app is we were just inundated with too much information. We just wanted a simple way to communicate with someone. And, and that's why Snapchat was so you know successful. It's like, I just want to communicate with my friends. That's what I want to do. I want to create an environment where I can go back and forth and share pictures, share share thoughts and share images and videos and all that kind of stuff. And it was funny because uh, the iPhone actually just turned 10 last week and, you know, the iPhone completely revolutionized the industry. Today you can download over, you know, two billion apps. Um, But I'm also finding that, you know, because there's so many apps, uh, it's really hard for a company to get on the home screen which means someone might download your app, they might use it once or twice, but if they're not using it on a regular basis, it's gonna eventually leave their phone because like me, I'm constantly running out of space on my phone, so I'm downloading apps and then deleting them a week later because they just don't have any value to me. Um, But messaging, my messenger apps, all of them are on my home screen. They're always there at a click of a button, right? So if if, if an organization wants to communicate with me, the best way is through messaging so I I mean I love the way that you know it it was very interesting again I was surprised when Shell said that that was the number one trend but when you look back at where we came from and where we are today it makes sense that messaging is going to be the next place that you're going to want to communicate with your consumers and your audience so uh, really uh, interesting uh, conversation So messaging may be cool and the next best thing, but it does introduce this whole black hole of measurement that Shell refers to as dark social. So it's really important and we've had this conversation on the podcast before and you know uh, Ross being you know you're you're a consultant you run your own business so you know how important it is to be able to measure your success so that you can go back to your client and say here is why you paid me (laughs) here's the success you know here's here's how I could show you why you keep coming back to me and why you want to pay me to do things because I can show you uh, success now with messaging, it brings this whole idea of a dark social. So let's, uh, I'm actually gonna hand it over back to Shell and get him to explain uh, what he means by dark social.
4: Yeah, dark social is any sharing that goes on through any of these tools that you can't track. Uh, so we we know through research, I can't remember who did it, it was a couple of years ago, that half of all links that are shared are shared via email. Uh, sorry, you don't get to track that. You have no idea who shared a link to your content uh, via email, but now that's all transitioning to messaging apps, and you can't track that either. So basically, we have to find other ways to measure the effectiveness of what we're doing. But that doesn't mean we get to ignore this. If this is where people are, if this is their preferred means of engagement, we need to be there, and we need to figure out. I'm, I'm, I'm sure, five years from now, there will be a service that has figured out how to give. You know, custom scoop will have figured out. Uh, how to do this or Cision will have figured it out, but or, or Salesforce, but uh, for now, uh, while all this is so nascent, I think uh, we have to do some kind of organic metrics, ask questions of our audience. Have you ever connected with us through our, our chat bot? Have you ever connected with us through Messenger?
1: Ross, I actually want to start with you, seeing as you are the, the consultant among the group. What do you think of dark, dark Social? Is this something that's worrying you, or have you figured a way around it.
2: Yeah, so dark social is definitely something that a lot of marketers are talking about. And it's a discussion that leaves a lot of people kind of afraid, um, just because it is the unknown. And it's interesting, because if you look at advertising communications as a whole, uh, we've gone from a place of the unknown to a place of being able to measure everything. And The dark social is kind of taking us back into time, uh, where when you would talk to clients about their billboard ads, you would talk to them about radio ads, and there wasn't real metrics that were associated with them until digital came along, and you could track how many people were seeing a Facebook ad, how many people clicked that Facebook ad, and then ultimately how many people bought because of it. With dark social, we don't really know exactly where these people are coming from, and what the result is, it's resulting in a lot of conversations in boardrooms where people are asking, okay, how can we figure out a way to... Be more creative and strategic around how we think about our metrics and our our way of doing measurement. Um, and from my perspective, the best way is to go back to the the business goals. So you can't kind of focus on how many likes, because at the end of the day, your clients can't pay their bills with likes. Their clients can't pay their bills with how many followers they have on Twitter. Uh, what matters is how much revenue you're generating, how many leads you're bringing into the door, how many metrics you're actually generating that truly impact their bottom line and that's how you measure success. So for me, the conversation around dark social is more of a, a an element of an overarching plan. So when you're talking about we're using social media to drive success for this campaign or for this client, Dark social is a part of the discussion, but we're not measuring necessarily solely dark social. We're measuring the impacts of an entire campaign. And then we're linking that back to meaningful and measurable results, such as revenue, lead generation, uh, number of mentions within the press, things like that, that actually matter to the client at that time.
1: Completely agree. What uh, What do you think, Julia?
3: I have to second pretty much everything that Ross said. I mean, ultimately, that's what it all boils down to. But... I mean, and and to your point, Christine, you can't numbers are not, they're not everything. And I think, I think that a few years ago, people got stuck with the, the numbers and, and we're using them as measurement tools. I mean, I know I did in couple jobs ago. I mean, one of, you know, one of my goals was, you know, to increase our Twitter followers to a certain number. But, uh, for me now, what I really like to see, and seems to be at least a good indicator, if not a good measurement, um, is engagement and, you know, engagement, uh, with content is worth so, so, so much more than, you know, all of these followers that you really can just buy. So that's the only thing I would add to the conversation, but I 100% agree with Ross.
1: Yeah, because I work for a not-for-profit. I mean, we do have business schools, but I I, I do work for the not-for-profit arm of our organization where ultimately yes our goal is we'd love to have more CAA members but because we were you know born and bred for a hundred years to represent our members my actual goal has nothing to do with the amount of revenue that's coming into um, the organization it's every it's it's around the engagement which is kind of what Julia was saying right that's that's uh, the the more we have Canadians engage with CAA and our messages um, the more successful we we can be so I mean dark social is something that i think everyone's going to be worried about but to be honest i mean i don't think it's 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 a deal breaker because i never actually use twitter number like twitter followers or facebook likes in any of my measurements uh we may kind of like put it there just so that we know and then if there's any sort of correlation we can kind of say you know sometimes we'll actually look at website hits and the fact that there's 10 website hits on one day and you know 15 on the next day doesn't really matter. What matters is we kind of see this, people coming to our website over time, and then when we see a spike, then we dig into it and we say whoa there was like three times as many people came to our website that day what did we do and then that gives us insight and in making and saying well that campaign was really successful right so again it's not we're not tying it back to dollars or directly to numbers it's more using the numbers to investigate what was successful and what wasn't successful so I don't think um, you know communicators should worry too much about dark social because I think this is just another reminder like what you were saying Ross is to move away from the numbers we shouldn't be looking at the amount of followers and the amount of clicks and likes and all that kind of stuff. We should be looking at what our ultimate goal is in the end. What about you, Claire? Yeah,
0: I mean, I'm going to be completely unoriginal and pretty much just kind of echo what everyone else said, because it's true. It's an inundation of numbers that drags you away from your end goal. I remember I was working with a, again, it was a not-for-profit, but there was a campaign of walking a certain amount every day. And it was about raising awareness for a certain issue. And It was such a weird thing because everyone was so concerned with, oh, well, you know, we want to have this many likes. Oh, look how many like notices we got or views we got on Facebook. But in reality, like a tweet or a retweet or any sharing of that event or that program with like a school board page has the value of... Ten or twenty tweets from random people, so it's it's numbers, but it's all about quantity, not quality. And you have to refocus on the quality because it's so easy to get bogged down in oh a thousand this, two thousand that, a hundred this, and really refocus again and focus on like what is the actual story you're trying to tell and what actually matters, you know?
2: Yeah, for me, I agree.
1: If President Barack, sorry, I was gonna say if President or soon not to be president but um outgoing president Barack Obama retweeted something i said i would not need another
4: retweet
1: exactly exactly
2: precisely so true. Yeah, I was just going to say, I think that the whole craze around dark social is sort of like Y2K in the early 2000s. The marketers are throwing around this, this <laughs> idea that this thing is scary and it's going to change everything. Yeah. But in reality, it's not. It's uh, something that we can consider and think about. But at the end of the day, you have to go on with business as usual, knowing that if you create content that's worth sharing, people will share it. Um, and if you tell stories that are compelling, people are going to pass those along to other people
1: so I hope you didn't just date yourself Ross by like referring to Y2K I hope our audience remembers what <laughs> Y2K was
3: <laughs>
4: yeah you may that have. is a
1: discussion for another episode <laughs> okay guys exact. I, I have a joke for you I'm not really good at telling jokes but I have a joke what do you call a Facebook strategy <laughs> Pointless. <laughs> okay, so it was a little bit dark. Um, a little bit of a dark humor there, but it's it's 100% true. And here is Shell again telling us what he thinks of Facebook strategies.
4: <laughs> well, because, well, first of all, you don't own Facebook, uh, so you, you can develop this elaborate strategy and, and Zuck could uh, decide to change the algorithm or shift the focus. Uh, I mean, look what just happened with news. Uh, Facebook has been investing a ton in attracting major news outlets to use Facebook as their channel for getting news to people because hey that's where almost two billion people are, and then they turn around and say, we're demoting news in the newsfeed because we want to encourage people to share their personal stories. And they have a legitimate need to do that. But I can imagine you know, the folks at the Washington Post and the New York Times and all the rest who are publishing through Facebook Instant Articles and have made this huge investment going, wait a minute! <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, you just can't rely on them. But mainly what you should have is a content strategy that accounts for the fact that different channels have different protocols, uh, use video differently, uh, show images differently. And when you know you're going to be communicating an initiative or a campaign, make sure that you're repurposing the assets from those plans so that they will work in each of the channels, and that way if one of the channels you're using suddenly pivots and isn't great for that anymore, or as happens in this industry, just vanishes altogether, goes out of business, they get acquired. What happens a lot is they get acquired for the talent and not the asset, so the asset vanishes, you don't miss a beat. You're still out there distributing content through all of these different channels.
1: So Shell says the solution is content strategy. It's not all about, uh, you know, your Twitter strategy or your Facebook strategy or your Snapchat strategy or whatever it is. Those are just tools. Um, So how... Do you build a content strategy in 60 seconds or less? We'll start with Claire, go. Um,
0: Okay, well first off, obviously decide your messaging. What is it that you're actually trying to say and who you're trying to say it to? Um, You have to make sure that it's effective and that they're actually gonna interact with it in the way you wanna interact with it, whether that's likes or views or shares or comments. Um, And I think that's a really key part. A lot of campaigns fall flat with poor planning when you don't know what the end goal is. So start with the end goal, was that 60 seconds
1: I don't know yeah actually one thing that my boss used to say don't ever put the cart before the horse so imagine it yeah I mean it's kind of going back to like horse and buggy days but it's uh you know don't your horses have to go in front and then you put the cart in the back right so don't flip your strategy around by just saying we need to use snapchat and then jump on snapchat and just start sharing random things right it's exactly you need to know your audience and your message ross go
2: I 100% agree that the first thing you have to do is know your audience. I think that too many people assume they know their audience instead of truly knowing who their audience is. Technology gives you an opportunity to really have a clear understanding of exactly who it is that is buying your product, who's sharing your content, who's consuming it, where they live what they're buying, what other media outlets they're reading. You can know everything there is to know about people. So I would start with that. And then from there, dive deep and look for insights that you can use to identify the type of content that those people will share. And then go spread that content on channels where they're spending time. If that's Reddit, if that's Facebook, if that's Twitter, if it's Pinterest, you name it, wherever these people are spending their time, you have to think about a unique and creative way to get your content into that conversation on that channel.
1: Yeah. And I like how you're saying when you like know your audience and I and like I, I feel we shouldn't be afraid if we're trying to figure out who our audience is, is actually talking to our audience, <laughs> asking them questions exactly. and engaging with them. I mean, um, companies are so adverse to having those skills you know open conversations and it doesn't always have to be in an open public you know environment uh, i mean there, there there are tools out there and uh, there's research organizations who will you know uh, they'll take a, a a example or a group of your audience and then you do focus groups or uh, you ask them questions and then you kind of just figure out who the who they are and what they like and um you know uh, their background and all that kind of stuff so not being afraid to actually engage and talk. I mean, the only way to find out if you know about someone is asking them a question and and, 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 resp- and actually listening to their answers, not just asking to ask, you know? So Julia, go.
3: The, first of all, I feel like Ross has a knuckle hand on this entire episode, <laughs> but that's beside the point. Um, uh, okay. So 60 seconds or less. So I would identify your brand story, identify your audience, uh, no, obviously who, but what, when, where you can reach that audience and what resonates with them. And then I would craft targeted messaging, you know, on a, on a targeted platform with a schedule and, 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 And execute.
1: So, um, I'm I'm not going to do a whole other thirty seconds because I think I'll just repeat what everyone else said. Um, The only thing that I wanted to mention, which is one thing that I do when I build my key messages, I'll have like you know three to five key messages. So, what you know, if if an audience is is um, you know if, if an individual is is experiencing or engaging with me through a campaign, what is like. The three to five things I want them to walk away with sometimes it's like, what's the one message I want them to walk away with? Right. And then I also put together proof points, proof points to me don't necessarily need to be public, but I find it actually helps me break down my key messages. So if the one thing that I want my audience to walk away with, we'll go back and we've you know, talked about cool projects that we've done in the past, the distracted driving game I did for teens. The one message I wanted them to walk away with is don't text and drive. Don't be distracted while you're driving. Right. And then I, I constructed proof points. Well, why would an individual not want to text and drive? So then my proof points are, okay, well, it's dangerous. And here's some stats around why it's dangerous. Why would a parent not want their teenager to text and drive? Why would they want to share this message? And then I find that sometimes putting together those proof points whether I actually use them with my audience, if my audience is coming back to me and saying, yeah, but why? I also find it really helpful to make sure that the message I'm communicating is the proper message. And I'm almost deconstructing what I wanna say to the point of view of my audience to make sure that the message that I'm saying is gonna resonate with them. So that's the only thing I wanted to add, which was probably more than 60 seconds. So, I want to, you know, thank Shell for taking the time uh, to talk with me in um, Minneapolis. And I think this is a really, really great uh, conversation to have, and it's a really important one to have. Things in our industry change so frequently, and it's so crucial to stay on top of it. And I'm not just talking about staying on top of what the what's the next cool social media thing, because Snapchat is here. Who knows if it's going to be here five years from now? Facebook is kind of the anomaly. I can't believe it's been around for that for for so long for like 11 years but or 12 years now but still Facebook keeps changing Twitter keeps changing all our all the tools keep changing but you know the the basis of you know communications uh, campaigns and our plans should always stay the same but then just knowing kind of what's out there and how we can interdict our content strategy is very helpful so uh, any other comments on the future of public relations Does anyone have like a better joke than the joke that I said? (laughs) And we can end on that. A PR joke? I liked it. Well,
3: I would have to say that the future of PR is brighter than Christine's jokes. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
4: We,
1: We can end on that.
0: Hey there, thanks for listening to this week's episode of Young PR Pros. If you have anything to tell us, we would love to hear from you. You can check us out and email us at youngprpros at gmail.com. We have a blog at youngprpros.ca. We're on Facebook at Young PR Pros Podcast and on Twitter at Young PR Pros. Thanks, and we'll talk to you next time. This episode featured tracks by Poddington Bear. Soundwork and editing by Claire Bonnyman.